My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. All right, man, that was a a fast run to get back here. No, I recorded that earlier this week. Just gotcha there, huh? Well, Sunrise, we are at the end of the journey. I was thinking about this, and it reminded me of other journeys I've been at the end of. Now, several years ago, my wife, Mary Beth, and I began running, and we bought a treadmill so that we could run in the cold winter months. I can run in the rain, no problem, but when the temperature gets down to the 30s, my lungs just can't handle it, and so we got a treadmill, and I tried reading. I tried reading the Bible. I tried reading things online. I couldn't read as my head was bobbing up and down. I tried listening to podcasts. I just couldn't, you know, really focus, and so so I, I stuck my iPad there and I launched Netflix and it was all over at that point. I actually began to binge watch. I'd run on average uh, sometimes 45 minutes, maybe an hour or more uh, at a time. And I started watching shows. So I reached out to my friends and I said, what kind of shows you know, would keep my attention over the years? And I had a rule. It had to already be done. So it couldn't be an ongoing show because I didn't want to get to like season three and then not get to know you know, who shot JR or something like that. Only really old people know anything of what I just said. Um, so I, uh, I was uh, recommended to watch Lost and I began Lost. I really enjoyed it. Six seasons, 129 episodes. I enjoyed it so much. Sometimes I do double runs. I would watch two episodes and run well over an hour. And it was really enjoyable. I liked the story arc. I like long stories where character develops over time. I thought that was a great show. And uh, then I reached out to a friend and I said, well, you know, what's something else? And this friend said, well, you like sci-fi? I said, yeah. So he said, you should watch Battlestar Galactica. Now I'm a child of the 70s, so I remember Battlestar Galactica, but the new one was quite different. And so I worked through four seasons and 76 episodes of Battlestar Galactica. And then I asked a friend, what do you think? And he said, well, I got one that's really dark, but the character development is amazing. And you know, if you want to know about sin and redemption, you've got to watch Breaking Bad. So I made it through all all five seasons and 62 episodes of Breaking Bad, and I almost broke apart because that was a tough one. And I, I, then I thought, I need something a lot more happy than some guy dying. And, uh, and so I watched eight seasons and 120 episodes of Psych. And that one, that just raised my, my spirits. I really enjoyed that. But one of the things that happened to me every time I reached the conclusion, actually probably an episode or two before so, Um, a sadness came over me. 
Now, I get they're just TV shows. They're fake. I know that, okay? Uh, there is no such thing as Santa Claus. I understand that. Okay, however, I'm a melancholy person. And when I've invested that many hours in someone's story, I got really sad. And when I'd watch the last episode, I would be depressed for a couple days. And I'd tell my wife about it, and I'd talk about it and everything. And I know she thought I was crazy, but I had invested a lot in this. And this sadness just fell over me. I remember the very first time I experienced this. I was in junior high. I was a pimply-faced teenager. And I read The Hobbit. And then I read The Lord of the Rings. And that was it. And I remember the first time getting to the end of the return of the king and, and loving it, but then also realizing there's nothing left. The story is over. And I had that sadness. And I faced the same thing as I was preparing this message for this Sunday. The sadness came over me because today we reached the end of the book of Acts. For nine months, since September, we've been journeying with the early church. We've been seeing the church born. We've been seeing the church explode with Peter preaching and reaching the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And then we transitioned to the apostle Paul as he came to Christ. And then he went around the world. But today it's all over. And there's a sadness in me. You know, there's a joy too, because if you Go to the original statement of Jesus in Acts 1.8, which is where we get our title, Witnesses. It says this, Jesus' command is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Witness just means someone who sees, someone who says, someone who tells about what they've seen and heard, what they've experienced, what they've touched, what they have been a part of. You will be my eyewitnesses, and you're going to go in Jerusalem, and then you're going to spread to Judea, which was the countryside, Samaria, which was the, the kind of the cross-cultural, a lot of hatred there, and then the equal, the ends of the earth there. And the reality is, is, is that we have seen that, and today we're done. Now, I want to let you know, if you want to actually see a little more about this in one year, exactly one year, I will be leading a group. My wife and I will be partnering with Dr. Carl Rasmussen and his wife, Mary, as we go to Turkey and Greece, and we walk in the footsteps of Paul. And if you'd like to make a journey, some of you came with us to Israel last year, uh, we are going to be journeying along. We'll see all of the journeys of Paul, minus a couple places. We'll see all seven uh, churches, the locations of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2 and 3. And uh, Lord willing, there'll be a phenomenal storm as we're on a little boat going to Patmos or on the way back, and you'll have your own story. And uh, so we, if you just go to our main website, isunrise.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and you'll see the brochure there and the itinerary, and you could uh, connect with me if that's an interest to you. So we could walk in the footsteps of Paul. Because we have seen that. We have actually seen, in the last half, we have seen Paul on his way to Rome. I mean, the, the, the story is he's falsely accused while he's there offering a sacrifice in Jerusalem. When he went to give an offering and a gift uh, for the church, he's nearly assassinated. People try to kill him. People bind together and, and make an oath to kill him, and that doesn't work out. Then he's imprisoned for two years on the coast of Caesarea Maritima. He appeals to Rome to get a fair trial because he knows it's not going to be fair in Israel. And on the way, he's shipwrecked, and the ship breaks apart, and he barely survives, and he makes it to an island. Basically, everything goes wrong. 
but actually everything was going right because what Paul gets to do is stand trial in Rome. And it takes two years to get there. Again, four years now he has been in chains. We saw that last week. And this is how the book of Acts concludes. The last two verses. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. Now, what meant that meant is that when you were a prisoner, you had to pay for your own food and lodging. So wherever you were, if you were not in like the deep, dark dungeons, which at this time in this imprisonment, Paul wasn't, he had to rent a place. He had to pay for all the expenses, all his food. But he was there for two years at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him. If you back up a few verses, you see that he invited the Jewish people who didn't really know much about Jesus as Messiah, and so he invited them in, boldly proclaimed Christ. Some believed, some didn't, which is kind of the normal story, and he then shared about Christ, boldly proclaiming the the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Last words, and no one tried to stop him. Now, the way the book of Acts ends in the original language, it ends with a word which we would translate unhindered. Uh, and that's the, that's the final word in Acts. I love that, unhindered. The gospel of Jesus goes out unhindered. No one tried to stop him. That means that the last word of the book of Acts is a victory note. You know, um, when you think about Paul, when you think about his journey, Um, You think about being bound for two years. You think about being in a confinement of maybe a prison cell at times or maybe a room that he's rented or maybe, uh, you know, on the deck of a ship. Bound with chains, his wrists would be chained after four years of having handcuffs and a chain around his waist or maybe maybe shackled, probably just around his waist. Um, You would think that the nights of turning over and hearing rattling chains and the days of wandering around being closely connected to a Roman soldier would definitely take a toll on his emotions. Uh, One of the Stoic philosophers, a contemporary of Paul, was named Seneca, and he wrote, the same chain fastens the prisoner and the soldier who guards him. And I thought, it's just like the Apostle Paul to lead Roman guards to Christ, which he did. You know, we have been confined only for a few months, and it's starting to rattle our cages, right? As I said earlier at the welcome time, my wife and I were talking about this. Uh, Thursday and Friday were emotional days for me. Uh, The Bible says at the very beginning, we were not made to be alone, and we miss the community. But can you just imagine being shackled like that? Well, you know, leave it up to a guy like Paul, whose number one passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose number one realization is that people are dying and going to a Christless eternity without Jesus, with no hope in this world or the next, and leave it up to the boldness of a guy like Paul, without any fear of any repercussions, to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So the irony of this, and I said it last week, that while Rome thought they would contain Paul and the gospel, the Jewish leaders thought they could get rid of Paul and the gospel, his chains only emboldened him to share the gospel all the more. And even though he was in chains, the gospel still ran free in Paul's heart and on his lips and in the relationships. What about you and your confinement right now? in your coronavirus limitations, 
Um, I know, I know the emotions of our lives and of our heart are challenging. I know that there is a sadness, there's a melancholy that comes over us. I, I get that. But, but have you turned inward or have you turned outward? Paul turned outward and the gospel flourished because of it. So what happened next? Well, you know, Luke just ends the book here, and we don't really know anything according to the book. But if you read church history and tradition, we really do believe that after two years, Paul was freed. Uh, Two years is a clue here that the accusers never showed up because there was a two-year statue of limitations when you got to Rome where your case had to be presented in front of emperor. Nero was the emperor at the time in front of the Caesar. And so they didn't show up. And, you know, Paul was let go. And if we read history, we see that he probably went to Spain. He probably planted more churches. He probably did some more things. And and the reality is we don't have that story. We do know, though, that Paul was once again imprisoned a few years later, and his life was taken from him. And he knows in the last letter that he wrote, Second Timothy, that he's close to death. And I thought it would be a real apropos moment to close our study of Acts, to take a look at the end of Paul's life. And I believe, learn something, that even though he was imprisoned, even though he was tried for his faith in Jesus, and, you know, in their eyes, stirring up all kinds of trouble, he was eventually executed. We could still learn something from a guy like this. And so if you have a Bible, Second Timothy, it's on our screen here. These verses in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, I want to read them all and then go back and highlight a few things. Paul writes to his dear friend Timothy, the one he discipled. He says, as for me, my life is already being poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul says this, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. That's a picture of what would be like a drink offering. Listening to the Bible, I'm, you know, introduced or reintroduced to this story where David is so thirsty for some water and his men go down and sneak in and they get this water and they bring it out to David and he pours it out, and which seems kind of rude. <laughs> you know, the guys risk their very lives to get the water. But the idea is, uh, in the Old Testament, there were drink offerings. And they would take something precious, and they would pour it out as an offering to God. And that's what Paul's saying here. My life literally is spent. My life is, is it, the cup is almost empty. I've been pouring out my life all these years, and there are just a few drops left. What a beautiful picture of the end of our lives. If, if you have a friend, if you have a loved one, maybe a parent or a child who has reached that point of death, you know what that's like to stand with someone, to sit with someone, to hold the hand of a loved one who just has a few drops left in their life. And that's what Paul is saying. I only have a few left. Paul may not have known that he would stand before Nero to be beheaded at that point, but he knows that his time on earth is over. And so as we spend the last few moments in this series, I want to ask the question, how did Paul finish his life? How did he end it well? 
How did he give us hope? And how can we do the same thing no matter how long we have? Well, first of all, Paul says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. That uh, word there, fought, is where we would get the word agony. And the idea is a wrestling match or a struggle. Uh, Paul certainly had his share of hardships, and and we know that because we we see he was beaten. We see he was put in prison. He faced angry mobs. He worked to exhaustion. He endured sleepless nights. He went without food. We we read those stories, right? Um, We know that... uh, Five different times he, would give, he was given 39 lashes on his back. He was beaten with rods three times. We know he was stoned and left for dead in one of the cities. We know three times he was shipwrecked. Once he spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. That is a lot of agony that Paul endured. His whole journey meant that he was giving up his life for Jesus, that he worked hard and long hours. He endured sleepless nights. In his other letters, we see he's hungry and he's thirsty and he's cold and he went without even the clothes to keep him warm and the food to fill his stomach. Paul faced death many times in his life, and now he faces a final death. And, and when you read Paul's words, he, he declares that as a, a follower of Christ, as a Christian, we are to live our lives as an athlete in strict training and discipline. We're to be like a wrestler. We're to be like a boxer, a struggler, like a runner. We are to live our lives with such discipline like an, an Olympic athlete would live. And Paul says, I have done that for the sake of Jesus. I have deprived myself. I have denied myself. I don't know if you're doing that right now. I, I, I am. I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. And um, so I'm having to say no to a lot of things. And, and just full disclosure, as I walked through the foyer this morning, there were two boxes of donuts And so I walked by them, and I walked by them. And then I went and got a water, and then I came back, and I walked by them. And a little bit later, I got a coffee. And then after the coffee was over, I went to get a water, and I walked by them. And every time I walked by them, I... There were maple bars, by the way, in those boxes. And um, and I, you know what I said to myself? I said, no, which I haven't always said, so don't think me too great. You can just look at me and know I've said yes too many times. But I said, no, because I that donut is not that important. Because if I were an athlete, which which I'm not, I would say no to all kinds of things that would tempt me. Paul says, as a follower of Christ, if you want to finish the race well, if you want to not be disqualified, you have to discipline yourself and say yes to the right things and say no to the wrong things. Then Paul goes on, he says this, he says, I have finished the race. Again, a lot of the metaphors of Paul are about the athletic events and the uh, Isthmus Games or the Olympic Games. And he basically says this, that we are all in a race. We are all running a race. And, and maybe Paul wrote Hebrews, we don't know. But if he did, he says the only way to make it is to fix your eyes on Jesus and to know that there's a great cloud of witnesses surrounding you in the stadium cheering you on. But can you imagine, Paul, as a runner of the race of life now, as a runner for the gospel, he's reaching the end of the marathon, and his chest is pushed out, he's breathing deeply, he's agonizing, he's sweating, he's leaning forward to break through that ribbon. He knows that. He says, I have finished the race, and he hasn't been disqualified. And then finally, he says, I've remained faithful. I haven't given up. I haven't faltered. I'm ready to receive the prize from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, his years of making disciples around the world, his years where he turned from his life as a religious person, a Pharisee, to turn to Jesus and give his life for the cause of Christ, 
was grueling at times, was filled with opposition. But Paul did not shrink back from openly and boldly declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you have opposition in your life. I don't know if it's a person, maybe it's part of the past, maybe it's some emotions, maybe it's some timidity. That's, that's what's what I've got in my life. I'm more of a timid person. I'm a shy person, really. Um, but, but the reality is you've got to push beyond that. If you're going to openly declare the gospel of Jesus, you have to get beyond your own inhibitions, your own failures, your own problems, the things that you've done, the things others have done to you. And if you want to finish the race well and remain faithful, that means you're going to lean into the gospel. Paul says this, and he he actually starts with this. He says, the time of my death is near. Um, The word death is an interesting word. Uh, Some translations say departure, that it's time for me to go. The word death, it's kind of cool. It literally means to loosen or to untie. In fact, take a look at this. When Paul says, the time of my death is near, he uses a very specific word there. And the idea, it's time for me to let go or it's time for something to let go of me. And, I, and I, I usually share this with folks who have gone through the loss of someone. I'll share this with people as they're going through their own passing. And in that vernacular, in that culture, this word loosen uh, or untie was used four distinct ways. You would just use this in a paragraph or a sentence or in a situation. And the first way the word loosen was used was like unyoking an animal, like an ox or an, a, 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 you know, a cow from a cart or a plow. You can think about it. An animal has worked hard all day long. They have been burdened. They have been strapped down with this extra heavy weight. And rest now is what Paul is saying. My rest is approaching. I've carried a heavy burden throughout my life. He's glad to lay his burden down. Some of you have had loved ones that you've lost. I was just talking with a dear friend yesterday about that. And the person that they love, the person that they've lived with, the person that has carried them or they've carried, they're gone. And you know, you know what it's like to be free from the burden of physical pain and issues and ailments. So many of our folks at Sunrise have died of cancer. And to one day be free of the burden of cancer or to be free of the burden of an addiction. You know, one day we will lay our burden down. And that's what Paul says. I mean, the person's not a burden, that's for sure. But life sometimes is a burden. You might even be feeling that right now, that you are carrying the weight and you feel like you've got a whole load that you're strapped to. One day you'll be loosened from that load and you'll be free from the weight. Another way the word loosen or untie was used was uh, when you had chains or bonds around you. You, Maybe you were a slave. Maybe you were in prison like Paul. Death for Paul was liberation and release. It was about the exchange from the Roman imprisonment and the Roman chains to freedom in Christ. And again, I know believers throughout the ages of my life as a pastor who've just been bound up in chains, maybe because of past hurts or relationships or addictions, The bonds uh, have chafed against their soul and they are ready to let go. The word is also used of loosening the ropes of like a tent so as to move on. Paul would have understood this because he would have seen Romans strike camp and break down everything and head to a new country. Paul himself had traveled through um, the Middle East, Asia Minor, and Europe. And he was now going to his last and final journey. He was taking the road home. 
And finally, this word loosening or untying was used of letting go or loosening the moorings of a rope that ties a ship to the dock. Paul, we know, had sailed the Mediterranean Sea many times, and he had seen the sailors uh, basically let go of those ropes so they could sail out to the deep parts of the ocean, to the country beyond. And Paul now is ready to launch onto the greatest journey of all, to the deepest waters of all. He's setting sail. Uh, from this harbor, which would take him to eternity. I can't help but think of the end of the Lord of the Rings as they sail off to the new land. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here. So for a follower of Christ, when we pass from this earth, death is like the exchanging the burden of an earthly life for the eternal joy of heaven. You know, Paul didn't die as a person who has no hope. He didn't die with someone like someone who has a Christless eternity to face. The fact is, is if you die today and do not know Jesus Christ, your death will be tragic because you will have given every opportunity up to say yes to Jesus. You know, God does not impose his will on you. Lewis was the one who said, to the person who says yes to God, God will say yes to them. And you receive freedom of forgiveness and of a new life here today and tomorrow. But to the person who says no to God, God will say no to them. And you have the choice of saying yes to God or saying no. But that will be said back to you because of your choice. And many will die today without any hope. And you don't have to die that way. You can die with a joy on your heart knowing that you're freed from this earthly life. You are ready to go on. You know, Paul had faced death many times over and now he faces it with hope. And for a believer... This is what death is like. It's being freed from your burdens. It's being released from the chains of life. It's like breaking camp and moving on, and it is like setting sail so we can finally go home. I, I, I know we've had this experience. You've had it. I've had it. I haven't had it recently. I think January was the last time, but when I travel outside the country for the last dozen or more years, I've been training pastors in Cuba and East Africa and in varying places, and there's this moment when I go to head back home. You, I know you've experienced this uh, nine times out of nine. I'm leaving my family behind, right? A couple times Mary Beth has been able to go with me. When I go away and I have my ticket and I board and when I finally get back to PDX, usually it's Portland where I do this, sometimes back east, but when I finally get back to the airport, I stand in the immigration line and I have my passport and um, I have the paper that's printed out and things like that, the little machine is done, but uh, I get emotional because I'm home, you know, almost home, almost home. There's a little bus ride to get finally to the terminal, but I'm almost home. And I stand there, and uh, the, 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 the person in uniform, they look at this, and they look at me, and they, you know, they look at their computer, and they look at me, and, they, and then they stamp my passport. And they always say this, and it always chokes me up. They say, welcome home. And, you know, that's what life is like, and that's what death is like. It's like that final journey. We will hear Jesus Christ say to us, welcome home, because this world is not our home. We are only passing through it. This is a temporary life. Our citizenship, our passport is in heaven. And one day, and maybe some of you have lost lost loved ones, you know this, this is the truth. One day we will, maybe they have already, they've gotten that passport stamp home. They're finally home. And Jesus himself has stood there and said, welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so 
I love this life. I love my family. I love the things that I have. I love my church. But I, I, for a, in a moment, I would exchange it for welcome home, right? I would, in a moment, I would just say, I want to, it's so much better to go and be with Jesus, right? Dieter Bonhoeffer writes in uh, his letters and papers from prison before he was hung by uh, Hitler's command, a personal command to destroy Bonhoeffer was this. Death is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. I know it's a pain. I know it's a, it's, it's, it's a hardness. I know, I know, I know that what we get when we stand there and watch a loved one be buried is nothing but heartbreak. But if they know Jesus, they're home. We should be weeping for ourselves because we weep with a hope. You know, think about it. Paul remained in Roman chains under the guard for two years, and there sat the greatest example of the gospel of Jesus Christ, an apostle, a spokesperson, unable to move as free as he desired. But Paul didn't complain. He didn't give up hope. He simply declared the gospel openly unhindered. And he wrote some of the New Testament. He wrote Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, and those books have impacted untold millions through almost 2,000 years. And so I would say to you, whatever your confinement is right now, uh, maybe it is a bed, maybe it is a home, maybe because of coronavirus, you're not able to do what you want to do. I understand it. But whatever the unpleasant, the negative situation is, look for ways to turn that around, the circumstances from a burden to a blessing. Because there is never an age There's never a time, there's never a place in your life when you cannot glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness for him. Do you know Paul's words in Philippians? I I loved him. I memorized this book when I was in college. He says, for I fully expect, he he launches the book with this as he writes to the, the believers in Philippi, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. That's it. That is his mission in life. As I have been in the past, And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. I memorized it in the NIV, for me to die, for me to die, that's just life. It's gain is what he says. I win when I die. You know, we have a hope, my friends. Death is not the end. Now, maybe some of you know it, maybe you don't. I don't know if you know what today is. It's not just May 31st, but today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I didn't plan it this way, but this is, this is so cool. Today, 1,990 years ago, the Holy Spirit came down. I'm 55. Lord willing, I make it to 65. Uh, if I have to go plant a church, I'll do this, but I'm going to preach Acts again in 10 years. Most of you will have forgotten it next year anyway. I know I will. And I want to I start preaching on the 2,000th year of the birth of the church of the Holy Spirit coming down. 1,990 years ago, the Holy Spirit came down and the book of Acts began. And you know what? The book of Acts continues. It continues in Hillsborough, continues in Washington County, it continues in Oregon, and it continues around the world as much as we continue it. That we, even though we don't get our names written in that book, Our names are written in the book of life, and we are bold proclaimers and witnesses of Jesus Christ. You know, God's still writing a continuing story of the gospel, and although the book of Acts may have ended, our lives continue the story. Now, if you uh, 
were aware and if you saw the Facebook post yesterday and if you saw what we talked about today early on, uh, we're going to receive communion together, the Lord's Supper. And I thought, what a beautiful time to do that together. And so take a moment to gather the elements. Mine are right down here, a little piece of bread and a cup. And uh, prepare yourself for that. Um, While you're getting those, I'll just kind of talk about it and tell you about it. But um, communion is the opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to just be reminded of how much God loved us, that he loved us so much that he stretched out his arms and he died for us. That God loved you so much that he would give up what was most precious, which was his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross, when he died, he did so willingly. He did so not just as a noble death, as an act of goodness, but as an act of greatness because he was dying for your sins and for my sins. And the Bible declares that when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, openly communicate this message, and when we tell others about Christ, that we are remembering what Christ has done for us. And when we take the bread, and if you would go ahead and take a moment to grab the bread right now, I want to read uh, the Apostle Paul's words to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Paul planted this church and he wrote to them. And now, almost 2,000 years later, we get to read his words. He says, I pass it on to you, Sunrise Church. Because I got it right from Jesus. He says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to it gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the bread together, being reminded of his body. In the same way, Paul goes on. He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's take the cup together. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of the book of Acts and the end of the story of the early church, it's really the beginning of the story of the church because the church is alive. The church is thriving around the world. It has reached our hearts here in our community. And so for those of us who are watching online, which is pretty much all of Sunrise Church right now, I say thank you that the church is not hindered. The church is not shut down. We faced some struggles We face some restrictions because of COVID-19, but the gospel explodes even now. Father, give us a boldness like Paul that our lives would go with the gospel unhindered, that the last word of Acts unhindered is the last word of our lives. It was the last word of Paul's life unhindered. We are a witness that will not stop for Jesus. And Lord, if we are watching now and have not received Christ, if we have been saying no to God, Father, turn our hearts to say yes to him because the tragedy of all would be to say no to our dying days and to hear no 
from that, that God who loves us so much. You say one day we will all bow before you, but those who have received you will bow and enter into your family, into paradise. And those of you who've bowed out of being forced to bow at the end of all age will be judged according to their sins and will be sent into eternal lake of fire. Father, we don't have to go that way. We can say yes to you today. We can receive Jesus Christ. We can believe in what he's done for us. And I pray we do that in your name. Amen.